I'd like to welcome everybody that is listening by podcast or watching right now on our YouTube channel or on Facebook Live. Thank you so much for streaming in and listening to this message this morning. My name is David Bendetta. I'm the senior pastor of Rock City Church here in the beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas, and I'm so thankful that you would hear this message today. I'm continuing a series that I started last week titled Measured with Mercy. And last week I titled the message Measuring Yourself. And if we don't learn to get an accurate measurement of ourself first, you'll never be able to measure others well. We always have to take an accurate assessment and measurement through God's eyes and through God's perspective of ourselves. Measurement is very, very important, obviously. Every single thing has a measurement. The seat that you're sitting in was measured. Everything has a measurement. And we constantly live in a world of measuring things. And measurement is very important to the Lord. Do you know that you can even measure God's love? God's love has a measurement on it. The the greatest measurement of God's love was the cross. It was God showing that I love you so much that I'm going to send my son. And even though the world has bombed it and the world has lost its mind, I'm going to come and restore you. And the measurement was due to iniquity and sin and the fact that man never in in his own strength could measure up to what God has, he says, I'm going to send my son who will be the measurement. Jesus was the measurement. He lived a sinless life. He became a man and taught us how to live and how to walk and how to overcome, just like he did. And then he laid his life down, and then Jesus challenges us to do the same. But God's love is so deep and so wide, and he wants us to know it, but it's even greater than what we can fully measure. Ephesians 3, 18 through 19. The Apostle Paul's praying for the Ephesian church, and here's what he says. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. The length, the width, the depth, and the height means that you may be able to accurately measure first for yourself how much God loves you. And if you don't have an understanding how deep and wide and long God's love is for you, you're never going to be able to give that to your children, to your family, your friends, your coworkers, the city, and your future. God wants you to have an understanding that God's love is so great, so powerful, and you understand it when you have the fullness of God inside of you. When you get born again, you get the fullness of God. But you have to learn and grow in the knowledge and understanding of how much he cares about you. And that can take a life. In fact, that does take a whole lifetime. That's why eternity starts now. You're never going to be able to get it in this lifetime. I learned, There's stuff that I have learned in God's word that I read again and learn even more. God continues to reveal himself and the knowledge and the greatness of who he is my entire life. And it will always be a process of your whole life of discovering how much he cares for you, discovering what he's given to you, discovering what you are. That's why the scripture says God is able. God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond. God is able to do more than what you can even measure or think. He wants you to know the greatness of who he is and how much he loves you. And he wants you to walk in his fullness so you can bring it to other people's lives. Romans 8, 38 through 39. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he's saying is, anything that you can measure or anything that tries to measure you can't separate you from his, from his love. It's powerful. Not one thing that you can measure or anything that's trying to measure you can separate you from the greatness of his love, but you need to learn it and discover it. See, God's love is infinite, but most of us live on a level about maybe right here or a little bit lower. But God wants you to blast through the ceiling and understand it's so deep, so wide, and so great. His love is infinite, and nothing can separate you from it. Nothing can separate you from it. But one person tries on overtime to separate you from it. So the devil on a daily basis is measuring you. Revelations 12.10 says that the enemy, the devil, accuses us, the saints, night and day. Think about the word accusation. If he's accusing, then what's he doing? Measuring. And what he's saying about you is you're crooked. What he's saying about you is God created you crooked. And then what he's saying is God is a crook. Think about it. Straight from the garden. God's a crook. He's a liar. And you know what? You're so hypocritical and fake and not real and never going to make it and such a failure. The devil tries to identify you and label you inaccurately and deceitfully. And what we have to do is not judge our own selves according to our standards or what the world says or our past and especially what the devil says. See, remember my definition of measurement. It's the definition of measurement. It's to measure the length, the width, the depth, and the height according to a standard or to judge something accurately based on the standard of truthfulness or what it's supposed to be. That's why if you don't have an accurate understanding of how God feels about you or the word or what God thinks or says, then the way that you will compare yourself will be inaccurate. And you'll walk in shame, fear, deception, lies. You'll be angry, you'll isolate, and you'll run to the things of the world to find comfort. The world's lost its mind, and the devil wants you to lose yours. We are called to measure ourselves accurately and to measure ourselves with rest, not fear and loathing. We're called to measure ourselves through the eyes of God and to see ourselves the way he sees us. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, I shared this last week, it says that the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. When you're born again, you get the mind of Christ. If you don't have the mind of Christ, you have the mind of self. It's called self-lordship. If you're not born again and you're living life without an accurate involvement of the Holy Spirit, you're leading life according to your own standard. It's called self-lordship. And it can even have right intentions and it can even be in the name of God, but it's inaccurate. That was the church of Laodicea in Revelation. The church of Laodicea means the people's rule. The church of Laodicea was wealthy. It had all the things that the, the city had. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. They were known for its medical breakthroughs, its banking breakthroughs, its health breakthroughs, its textile and clothing breakthroughs. And they said, we have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you're blind, miserable, and wretched. 
<laughs> and they're like, man, I'm going to self-rule my own life. You can't do it without the mind of Christ, and you can't accurately see yourself or see others if you don't have a transformed mind. Now, transformed mind doesn't happen in an instant. It does in the sense that God puts his spirit in you and makes you new, but now your soul realm, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, has to be transformed by the constant regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful word right here. Now, this is the daily fight of digging in to God's promises and his word and how he accurately thinks about you, and that's why he gave us his spirit. We need a spirit-filled church, and I need to live spirit-filled every day. You don't just get filled once. You didn't just get baptized in the Holy Spirit 10 years ago, and now I'm good. It's a daily filling because fit, to be filled means to be furnished and to be crammed full of God's word, his promises, and the mind of Christ and an understanding. You need it every day. Trust me, you need it daily. Let me just tell you right now. We need it more than we've ever needed it before, wouldn't you say? And if you are consumed by the world's news feed, what's happening at the White House, what's happening in the government political system, what's happening with the wars and the deaths and all the, if you spend any extra amount of time than you should reading the newspaper or reading the news feeds, I promise you fear, loathing, and apathy will come into your heart. That's why God gives us a better news feed. He gives us his word. He gives us a constant revelation and an understanding of what's happening in the world around me and how I'm supposed to accurately respond. And then in that scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 that I shared last week, I shared with you the fact that the spiritual judges all things spiritual. We compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Now I'm not comparing worldly things with worldly things. I'm not comparing my life based on what other people say or what other people think. And I'm not comparing yours based on even what you might think about yourself. Now I start to see from a spiritual lens and I have the Holy Spirit instructing me on accurately how you're doing, what you're doing, and how, how do we resolve it. And I do it with love and a lot of mercy. I do it with love and a lot of mercy and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of grace because God has had it upon me. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth. Everybody say, oh, the depth. Of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. But by his spirit, by the spirit of the living God, Inside of us, we get the mind of Christ and we begin to grow in our understanding of wisdom and knowledge of his ways. And now in everything that I look at and everything that I see and every time I meet with somebody or you meet with somebody that's in crisis, you're able to process the way he does and think the way he does and love the way he does and give advice and counsel the way he would. Because we're talking about measuring each other today. But you have got to get it for yourself. Let me give you some fun things in the context of measurement that we live in almost every single day. Actually, every day we live in this. Here's the most, I'll give you some real simple ones. Your gas gauge. Now, some of us are the worst at running it as, as empty as empty can be. You know who you are. You are like, you're, you're negative 20 miles when you roll up to the gas pump. 
Wednesday night, I released a prophetic word that some of you have run out of gas. And you need somebody to get out of their car and push you. So an awesome word Wednesday night. Sometimes you need a push. Have you ever seen somebody run out of gas at a red light and then you all jump, you jump out of your car and push them? Have you ever run out of gas at a red light and you needed a push? Okay, Some of you know who you are. So the point is, is that we want to learn to keep our personal spiritual life gas tanks full. How about your work performance? You know, as a business owner, every year in the spring, we do performance evaluations. And we measure our, my employees based on a variety of factors. How many times did they call in? Do they show up on time? Do they serve a good product? How's their customer service skills? Are they a team player? Do they work well with others? Let's assess your performance over the last year to determine if you're going to get a raise or not, right? We, I think anybody that works a job, for the most part, has performance evaluations. Now, I don't run my coffee shop the way that I run the church. You know why? Because the church isn't a business. It's a family. But at the same time, God does want us to be obedient to what he's called us to do, and there is a measure of performance, and it's not to measure up. It's the understanding that God has told you to do something. Now do it. And then somebody has to say, are you accurately, based, based on your actions, doing what God has told you to do? We measure according to God's standard. I go to the doctor about every two months. And every year I go for a physical. And when I go for my physical, I get measured in some places I don't really want to get measured. Yeah, when they check for prostate cancer as a man. And it's pretty uncomfortable. I'm just letting you all know. You're welcome. But listen, if you're sick, you're going to get measured. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to measure the healthy. I came to measure the sick. Meaning, I came to bring health as a doctor. Does the healthy need a doctor? No, but the sick does. That's why there has to be spiritual exams taking place. Some of you need a spiritual exam. But we're isolated. We're afraid of what people are going to say. And we're afraid that we're going to get judged or beat down because maybe some of you were in the past. Sorry for that. I was too. I've been through it. We've all have. Let me ask you a question. If you take a good seed and plant it in good soil, will it grow? Not if the environment's not right. You take a coconut and go plant it by the river in winter in North Dakota, that soil may be good, but it is not going to grow. North Dakota's not the land of palm trees, neither is Colorado. You understand? So some of you received good seed, and yes, you have a good heart, but you were in a bad environment. So let's change the environment. It starts with you, and it starts with me. I'm not about to preach the next ear-tingling, hyped-up message so you can feel good in hopes you come back. What I'm out to do is raise up a family and an army that has longevity. Listen, I work out. What's so funny? 
Yeah. I got a story in it. No, <laughs> wow. My wife's just laughing at me. <laughs> Guys, we got problems here. <clears throat> now, I grew up athletic and learned a lot of things in sports. And I, got, I have routines and things that I do when I go to the gym. When I went to West Virginia for the conference, the worship leader there, a great guy by the name of J.D. in Parkersburg at the Rock Church, is a personal trainer. And when I went to the gym, the personal trainer, he, and I know this for any good personal trainer, isn't measuring you based on how much weight you can lift, but rather proper position and posture so that you're doing the routines right. And there are a lot of routines that I don't do right. And when he's there to measure me, he's like, look, back straight, chest out, pull this way, push that way. Good personal trainers can measure body fat. They can measure a lot of things in your life. Personal trainers are, should be experts in what they're doing when you go to the gym. And we don't all necessarily need them, but sometimes you do. Okay? Some other great examples are the vet. I took my dog who's got... What are you all laughing about? Wow. I know, it is kind of funny. The vet. All right, the vet. I took my dog who has an ear infection to the vet this last week. We get up on the table, and I have an awesome vet. The dog and I get up. Well, I didn't get on the table. The dog got on the table. Wow. The vet pulls my dog's ear to the side and sticks his nose right in the ear and goes, and then he goes, yep, he's got an ear infection. I said, how do you know? He said, you can smell it. Because when dogs get ear infections, you can smell it. And I said, that's a, I got a message in that. This is why we need to be in relationship and I need to get close to you. Wait, maybe I don't need to sniff your ear. But do you understand? Sometimes you can't tell until you get close enough. Bam. You get life stories and messages everywhere you go. How about this one? Your car engine light. Now, the car engine light can be one of the most frustrating things. You know why? Because you don't really fully know what it is. It could be your sensor. It could be your this. It could be that. Thank goodness for mechanics and thank goodness for friends that have little diagnostic tools that plug it in and say, here's your error code. It's just like our own life. Sometimes you need somebody that can check the error code and tell you how to fix it. We need spiritual Holy Ghost mechanics. Man, am I preaching today. I'm just telling you right now. College exams. Don't go there, right? College exams. High school tests. SAT scores. Sports. We got offside penalties. Offsides happen when the, the offense or defensive team prematurely crosses the scrimmage line. How many of you know what the scrimmage line means? Wow, we got some football fans here. How many of you know what the actual term scrimmage means? 
it comes from the word skirmish. And it means a fight or a battle. It's a fight or a battle. It's two opposing teams fighting each other at the scrimmage line. Well, you just learned something new today. If you learned any one thing at church, you know what a scrimmage line is now. You all are awesome today. I'm, this is so fun. And they're competing to get first downs and in the end zone. How many of you get really, 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 really mad? Like a few years back when Dallas was in the playoffs and got robbed by a bad call against the Packers. Am I making you mad now? How about, how about, I got a football coach right here. How, does it make you mad when your team gets a bad call? How about when the ball went over the, for a first down past the 10 yard mark, but the ref came and spotted it two inches short. Inaccurate measurements make you real mad. One of the most common things we say on a daily basis, my wife says it all the time, in our house. She, here's, here's the first line. It's really cold in here. Here's the second line. What's the temperature set at? We're constantly measuring the temperature, <laughs> the weather, <clears throat> your finances, your bank accounts, your family, especially if you've got little kids. We're constantly having to measure their shoe size. As soon as we buy one pair, they outgrew it. I got to buy another pair. They're clothes. I don't even, can't even keep up. If I'm going to buy a shirt, I have to call my wife and say, now what size is Zion? What size is Cadence? We're and then their actions. We're constantly measuring our children's actions. And we should be measuring one another in our family dynamic, according to God's biblical standard. Do you understand? So we live in a world of measurements on a daily basis. And all of us in one way or another measure ourselves and we battle measuring and comparing ourselves to others. This is a daily struggle every day with social media, with the, with the difference between the wealthy and the poor and the middle class and what's coming out on the news feeds. We're constantly having to battle or compare ourselves and measure against the world standard. God never wanted you to use the world standard as your measurement. You have to learn to see yourself the way God sees, and you have to know how he feels about you. You can't allow yourself to be identified by anything else but that. You have to measure yourself accurately before you can ever measure someone else. That's the essence of hypocrisy. Here's the essence of hypocrisy. That before I try to pick the speck out of your eye, I better get the plank out of my own. But does God want the specks out of our eyes? But he says, Check yourself before you wreck yourself. He says, you think that little thing's bad and you want to keep picking it out of someone else's eye? You got a log in yours. So what did he say? First, remove the log. Then help your brother get the speck out of his eye. So God does want us to accurately measure, but you better make sure that you first have an accurate understanding. Get it for yourself first so you can give it away. You gotta give it away. People are hurting and broken and dying and addicted. Marriages are failing, 50% of divorce rates, or 50% of marriages are in divorce. 50% of pregnancies in the United States were unintended 
and they lead to divorce. I'm sorry, to abortion. That is a whole message in and of itself. Hypocrisy and getting the speck and the plank and dealing with yourself. In fact, there's two other great messages that I could preach and probably will one day, but you could go study it out right now. One is the refiner's fire. When you understand that God launders your life and throws you in the washer, first he says, you got stains and shoot some like spiritual resolve on you. I'm getting message titles left and right today. Man, some of you need some Holy Ghost resolve this morning. Am I right? And that's what the blood does. You spray some blood of Jesus on that stain on your life, and he washes it and wipes it away. That's the refiner's fire. And I know it can be hard to be hammered and go through the fire. Hammer, fire, hammer, fire. Purify, purify, purify. But God wants an accurate reflection, right, Colton, in the gold. Just ask Colton or Connie, two master jewelers. They'll tell you about the refiner's fire. And then the next thing is you really should have an accurate understanding of Jesus the judge. Do you know the scripture says that, behold, Jesus the judge is standing at the door. New Testament. But you can't be afraid of God's judgment. Because if you're born again, you don't see God as a terrorist. You see him as a father. But the world sees God as a terrorist. But when you get born again, you say, judge me now. I shared that last week. If we would judge ourselves, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the context of the Last Supper, it says, judge yourself so you don't come under the judgment of the world. Get an accurate understanding of your situation, what you need to do to resolve it in surrendering your life and taking the crown off your heart and being stubborn to do it your own way. You have to measure with mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We have to have spiritual eyesight. The spiritual compares all things to the spiritual. We have to judge righteously, which sometimes is different than being right. Some of you live in a world of right and wrong, wrong tree. You can be right and not be righteous. You may have an accurate assessment, but the way you say it, the way you process it, the way you, the way you correct someone is not with the mind of Christ. Sometimes God doesn't want you to correct them. He wants you to love them. If you live in a world of correcting one another, it can be a mess, especially in marriage. That's why we teach you going to marriage with eyes wide open, and then you have them half shut. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Even after complete surrender and getting the mind of Christ, you have to learn what that means. You become a new creation instantly, but it's a process in your life of discovery. Get into discovery. Get into process. And be patient. And don't give up. And don't back down. And don't isolate. We're building something that is going to last generations that's full of legacy, not a bunch of ear-tingling, brain-massaging, behavior modification people. Jesus was never out to be popular. And the minute they tried to make him popular, he retreated to the highways and the byways. This isn't 
It's not a time for us to chase the who's who and the what's what of popularity. This isn't the time for you to come week, Sunday to Sunday and not live it every day. And this isn't a time to just come because something felt good or sounded right. We have to live with eyes and understanding of mercy. We have to understand patience and process. We have to be in it to win it for the long haul. We have to see five years from now, 10 years from now, and not be so consumed by the immediacy of our situation. 1 Peter 4.17, I'm going to break this down a little bit more this morning because it's insanely awesome. I'm going to give you some incredible revelation this morning that's going to help you to understand why I'm teaching this message. I shared some of it last week, but let me show it to you on another level. Everybody say, the time has come. The time has come. For judgment to begin in the house of God. So first, the judgment begins with me. If I would judge myself, I won't fall into the condemnation of the world. So first, I check myself. It begins with me. But then it begins in his house. House is a connotation of a family. So what God's saying is, I'm bringing judgment to my house. And I pray God judge Rock City. But if you don't see God right, if you're skewed in your, in your understanding of justice and you see judge as fearful, you're going to miss my point. Because here's my point. If it begins with us first, everybody say us first. What will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel of God? I'm going to teach you something incredible. We're the first example. God's house should be the first example. But millions of people all over the world have rejected the church and rejected God's house. Why? Because the standard and the example of what kingdom life and kingdom power should look like has not been happening. So they reject. But here's what God says. If I bring judgment, whew, there's an annoying one teaching you right now. If I bring judgment and correction and alignment first to my house, then my house becomes the, the contrast. My house becomes the picture of the difference between light and dark. And now what he's saying is the world has no excuse. And what he's saying is if I judge first this house and your life and correct you and align you and refine you, and your marriage is strong, and the people are strong, and we're walking in love, and we're walking in prophetic power, and we're walking in union the way we're supposed to, then the world has no excuse. You're not giving the world any more excuse. They choose to accept or reject, but it has to start with you and God's people, because if God's people are a mess, then there can't be an accurate judgment of the world. You guys are going to get this. I'm telling you, I know it's meaty. You're going to see it. Look at the scripture. If it doesn't start with us, then what will be the end of those that don't obey the gospel of God? The point is, is it first starts with us so there can be an accurate judgment for those that reject it. Because you know what? I will reject man-made religion. I will reject a controlling institutionalized system. Now, I'll submit to it 
because God, just like David, had him submit to Saul. And for many of us, he teaches us a lesson through systems, through our past, through a lot of things that we've had to overcome. And you don't get to pick your church. You don't get to pick your church. I understand we live in consumer-driven society where we jump from pastor to pastor and personality to personality. But God's building a family, and we're spirit-led. You didn't get to pick your parents. And some of you said amen to that. You are spirit-led. We follow the cloud, and we go where he goes. And even if it's messy, sometimes God uses messy, maybe a lot of times, especially in marriage. So God says, let it start in, in my house so you can be the accurate contrasting example for all the world to see. Powerful. It's powerful. We're being watched closely. We're going to be watched a lot more closely. This is being broadcast and listened to all over the world. Senators and congressmen, city council members, mayors, judges, police force, outlaws, all observe. And as we get healthier, God promotes so you can be examined even more. Hence, when you do the kingdom right, it will grow instead of me trying to tickle your ear. You guys all right? Come on, this is kingdom teaching right now. This is the kingdom. You know who the greatest person that's getting examined right now is? Me. You know why? Because every single person here or that comes every Sunday or hears me talk examines and measures me, whether you like me or not. We examine if... I'm authentic, and if you really want to stay, and if you really feel like this is your home, and the list goes on. I'm constantly under the microscope. So is my wife. But we live our lives out loud so that you can examine. And I love you, man. Watch me. That's okay. I had to get over myself and being a man pleaser and being afraid of what you would think. And that's been a lot of dying and overcoming and sleepless nights and going home thinking, man, I bombed it, or I didn't say the right thing, or I shouldn't have said it that way. But God continues to refine me. And if you're going to examine me, do it right. And don't examine me based on ex false expectations. Don't examine anybody with false expectations. Examine the fruit of their life. Does it line up with the word? Are they integrous? Are they honest? And so, God really cares about measuring accurately. He really cares about measuring accurately. In fact, he cares so much about measuring accurately, he made a law about it. You know that? Leviticus 19, 35. <coughs> You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, and volume. Verse 36. You shall have honest scales. I want you to notice the word honest. Honest scales, honest weights, honest ephah, honest hen. 
What that means is in those days, it was hen and ephah and weights, and basically it was volume of grain or liquid. And the Bible in the Old Testament has a lot to say and new about people judging and selling dishonest, dis, in a dishonest way. That's why Jesus would cleanse the temple of the money changers, because they were abusing and robbing the widows in the name of God. The poor, the needy, the hungry. So God says, I expect you to be honest in everything that you do and integrous. Here's some great definitions of the word honest. I know you, the, the word honest, you may think simply just means to tell the truth, but it means more than that. It means that you're free from any deceit. There's no deceit inside of you. It means that there's no untruthfulness inside of you. Instead, you're full of truth and life, and there's no deception. It means that you're sincere. It means to be morally correct and virtuous. It means to be fairly earned, especially through hard work. You made an honest living, not like what I used to do way back in the day when I made a dishonest living in selling drugs. Now, through hard work and an honest gain, I have honest gain. It means to be simple, unpretentious, and unsophisticated. Some of you think you got to be so sophisticated. Take off the church Sunday best and just be yourself. It's okay. We, we, we are here to help with messes. We clean, up, we, we clean up messes. When you go to get examined or the doctor says, just relax, just be yourself. And so you have to learn to not try to pretend or be sophisticated. Just keep it simple and let God do what God does best in your life. Stay surrendered. Then it means to be blameless and well-intentioned regardless of the outcome. Sometimes you'll be fully honest and it didn't turn out for your best. You say, well, I was so honest and integrous and it didn't prove, the results that I wanted didn't happen. It's not necessarily about that. It's about God refining you in the midst of the process to give you an honest heart. Okay? Now, there's three ways that I measure people. Three ways. Okay, we've already talked about the mind of Christ being spiritual, Holy Spirit. God's word is the standard. But there's three, three things that I use to assess and give spiritual exams to people's lives. You ready? Number one, the words that come out of your mouth. That is the most easy identifier. The way you speak, what you say, is a revealer of what's on the inside of you. The second thing is your actions. I'm not judging hearts, I'm judging actions. The proof's in the pudding. How are you managing your money, your family? Are you integrous, are you honest? I'm looking at actions. And then the third thing is fruit. What's the fruit in your life? So let me show you how this works, okay? Turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 44. This is going to really tie it in for you this morning. Luke 6, verse 43. You guys okay? This will be, I'm going to focus on this one, one point and drive it home, and then we're going to pray, okay? 
A good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Verse 44. But every tree is known. The first thing I want you to understand is that trees are designed to be known. God wants you to be known. Some of you say, well, I don't want anybody to know me. That's not biblical. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, for every tree is known. Okay? You, some, of your, some of you may be an isolated tree. You're like, I don't know anything about them. They're isolated. You know, most of the news stories we hear where people spun out, I often hear when they interview the neighbors about the guy, which happens all the time, say, well, he was a quiet guy, and we never talked to him. Every tree is designed to be known. The second point that I want you to know is that the fruit is the identifier. The fruit is the identifier because fruit was never meant to be private. Fruit was meant to be picked. Fruit was meant to be given away. So anything God gives you, he designed it for you to give away. Man, that's good. You're never meant to be greedy and self-centered and use it for yourself. If God gives you something, a talent, an ability, whatever it is, he gives it to you, money, whatever it is, he gives it to you to be given away. So every tree is known by its fruit. For men don't gather figs from thorns or gather grapes from a bramble bush. I taught you this last week, that the bramble bush is a six-foot shrub with big thorns, and it was where the thorns that were in Jesus' crown were stuck inside of his head. And it was used in that day. See, Jesus' thorn of crowns wasn't a one-time thing. What you need to know is the Romans crowned anybody with those thorns that prematurely positioned themselves in leadership or claimed to be something that they're not. And the point is, is when people self-crown their heart, they produce thorns and poke everybody around them. It's called self-lordship. And that's what they thought Jesus was doing. So they crowned him. Little did they know, they were crowning the real king. And Jesus was reversing the curse from the dead tree because the bramble bush represents the thorn from the garden and the curse, and Jesus took it in his skull so you could have the mind of Christ. Bam! Verse 45. Here's the connection. This is your connection. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart. The word treasure means, is the Greek word thesaurus. You know what a thesaurus? You know what I want to say? A thesaurus is a book of words containing synonyms or similar concepts to that word. And he wants your heart treasure with all the similar concepts and related connectivities of who he is and the, the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom of the mind of Christ filled in your heart. And so he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And you're going to see, how do you bring it forth? You're going to see that, and this is how I identify it. 
Now, I look at hearts like this. I see everyone's heart as a treasure chest. And I'm not determining good or bad based on the heart. I'm looking at the identifier. Are, are you spitting thorns? Or are you spitting fire that brings life? Are you spitting curses and salt water and bitterness? Or are you spitting fresh water that is like a drink offering for other people's lives? You can judge the tongue. Words are pretty easy. Because watch this. Out of the treasure of his heart and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart. Another version says his own. Everybody say, my own. The Greek understanding of my own is this. What has become me before you saw me? What I did in private reveals what I do in public. What the fruit was that, you, that was in my heart before you came across me was already cultivated. It was my own. And now I just revealed it to you. Come on, guys. I'm just throwing out some filet mignon for you this morning. Just eat the steak. Okay? Eat the meat. What's in you reveals you. And a natural identifier is the tongue. Look, here it is right here. For out of the abundance of the heart, you open your mouth and reveal it. <laughs> and it's clear to be seen by all. In fact, why don't I just drive it home a little bit further for you this morning? James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, and, he, and he's able to bridle the whole body. Pause. You know what? Let me rephrase it for you. The word perfect here actually means mature. Does God want you to mature? Don't, don't compromise God's word. You will compromise God's word by saying, well, I stumble in many ways, and I can never be a perfect man. You can mature. When you used to cuss like a sailor, you know who you are. When you used to complain and be negative, now you speak life. And, it, and watch this. It says, if you can bridle the tongue... You're able to bridle. I love the word bridle. Think of a bit in your mouth. Think of being a horse used for the master's purpose. And I'm broke now. Some of you want to be spiritual James Deans. Reckless and rebels. And you're singing the rock song, Untamed Heart. You know who you are. But what you have to understand it's not about getting you to conform to my ways or man's ways or religious ways. This is conforming to the mind of Christ and God's standard. And in turn, that when you bridle the tongue, you're able to bridle your actions. That's why actions are so critical. And if, if my tongue can bridle my actions, it's like this. If you don't have anything good to say, you know how many times I bite my lip? You know how many times my wife bites her lip in marriage? You know how many times when I'm meeting with people and it's like, man, I know the right thing to say, but the Holy Spirit says, bite it. Yeah. 
verse 3. My other point on that is if I, can, if I can bridle my body, how much more through what I say to you can help bridle the body of Christ? Now I'm a, as a pastor and a preacher and a teacher and a father with an apostolic nature, I'm out to help put the bit in the body of Christ's, body of Christ's mouth. Not control you, let Jesus control you. That is awesome. Now you become that. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey. And one little tug turns that entire horse's body from one little bit in their mouth and a little tug left and right. Verse 4. Look at ships. They're so large and driven by fierce winds, especially in Corpus Christi and the Porta Corpus. Giant ships and a narrow ship channel. I'm like, how do those big ships come in and turn around? Giant ships are, with fierce winds are controlled by a rudder. Wherever the pilot desires. Wherever the pilot desires. Verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire kindles by one little fire. Verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Here's the point. The point is, is that the tongue is a very clear identifier one way or the other. And James would go on to talk about how the mouth can't spring forth both fresh water and bitter water or salt water and fresh water. And the point he's trying to make is, I'll summarize the rest for you. The point he's trying to make is this. He says, no man can tame the tongue, but you know what you can tame? Your heart, so that your tongue brings forth fresh water. And if you're, if you're solely focused on taming the tongue, that's behavior modification. I'm just, this is so good. If you're solely focused on trying to control your mouth, that's behavior modification. But if you transform your heart from the abundance of the heart, that's why... That's why the, the, the mouth is likened to do a spring. But the spring started somewhere. And it gushes forth fresh water or bitter water. And you can't have both. But some of us have both. And James says this ought not to be. Some of you come here, bless God, and we worship and all those things. But then we curse each other. We curse our friends. We curse our family. We curse under our breath. We speak negative things. We complain. And yet we worship God. That is two springs coming out of your mouth. And the writer says this not, ought not to be. So I got the best advice for you. Stop it. Stop it. And you stop, stop it by filling your heart, your thesaurus, with wisdom, knowledge, and accurate concepts of God's love over your life. Does that help you guys? Okay. Does that help you? All right, I'm going to close with this. Proverbs 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is an overflowing brook. Let's make our lives a wellspring of wisdom. Let's get what matters the most. Be skilled and accurate in your understanding of who God is, what his word says. Devote more time to his word than to the voice or to the news. Devote more time to his word than Instagram and Facebook. 
Devote more time of your life to gaining wisdom and knowledge because it will transform you and then it will come out of your mouth. That's why it's an identifier. I can clearly tell when somebody is not renewed in their mind because I hear lack of lordship. I hear complaining, anger, frustration, defensiveness. And so the answer is to daily dig in and fill your heart with a wellspring of life so what comes out of your mouth is truth. I'll close with this scripture, Micah 7, 18 through 19. Now, you say, what is God like? I'm going to give you the best, some of the best scriptures with an accurate understanding of who God is. Here's your standard. Here's the measurement tool. You ready? Here's the accurate fullness of measurement right here. Number one, God pardons iniquity. Some of you got to forgive yourself. You've got to forgive the people that hurt you. You got to let go of the past and move into the future. And you can't do it until you forgive. And some of you are still angry at yourself, angry at your ex, angry at your boss, angry at your life situation. Forgiveness is key. So God says, number one, he pardons, meaning he wipes it completely away. Next is he passes over the transgression. Love covers a multitude of sins. So if anytime I'm going to accurately measure someone, I'm doing it with love. And many times I have to cover that. Men come up to me and confess pornography. I cover that. What I mean is I love them. Men come up and confess drug dealing or they confess all kinds of things to me. Does that mean that they shouldn't receive for the wrong? Does that mean it's okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. The Bible says he that does wrong will receive for the wrong which he's done. And there are consequences. Criminals need to be locked up. I was one. I'm fully for law and justice and order. But I do it with mercy, grace, kindness, compassion, and true justice. I was a bad criminal. I'm just telling you I was a bad criminal. He doesn't retain his anger. God doesn't hold grudges. So when you're sitting there apologizing for something you did 20 years ago for the 10th time, God's saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not holding a grudge. Why? He delights in mercy. Everybody say, he delights in mercy. Next verse, and we'll pray. Verse 19, he has compassion. He's compassionate. And he subdues iniquities, meaning that all your failures, he overcomes it by washing it away and putting it under his feet. And then he takes your sins, and where does he put it? Wait, where's your past in? Then why are you reminding God about it every day? I've told you this. I said, God, something comes, the devil often comes to me and reminds me of the weirdest things that I did 20 years ago. And I'm like, oh, man, God, I'm so sorry for that. I'm so sorry for what I did. And the Lord says, what are you talking about? You know why? It's buried in a graveyard. I love you guys. This is a new day for you. It's a new day for me. This church is going to be pole vaulted into the stratosphere. We're going to the stratosphere spiritually. And we're going to do it because we are healthy 
and positioned, full of power, full of wisdom, full of life, and doing life as a family. You need someone to measure you, and you got to get into measurement. You got to measure others right. That which offends you is in you. Deal with your heart. Get into relationship. Become strong. Let's build a family for the children that are coming and the drug addicts that are coming and the broken marriages that are coming and the people full of shame that are coming. Okay? Let's all stand.